You're listening to Temporary Circumstances, and I'm your host, Alina Sowers, a licensed professional counselor in Ohio. And I'm your co-host, Cora Mayfield, also a licensed professional counselor in the state of Ohio. In this podcast, we're going to share some ideas and things that we've learned that aren't too often talked about in mental health, including some taboo topics, if you will, like death and grief, trauma and PTSD, addictions, and others. We will cover some of the worst things imaginable that happen to people around us every single day and how we can help them get through those difficult times. The opinions on this show are ours only and do not reflect any agency that we work for. Hey everyone. So we wanted to take some time today to talk about emotional support animals. So what is an emotional support animal? An emotional support animal is um, an animal and it could be lots of different kinds of animals, but mostly we hear of dogs or cats that provide comfort, companionship, friendship, and affection to their owner. They don't have any specific training, um, but they assist their owner in being better able to cope with life stressors just every day. You get a, an emotional support animal or an ESA with a letter from a licensed mental health professional that can be your psychiatrist, psychologist, a counselor, a social worker that writes you a letter and and then they can reside with the owner in their housing. And, and typically these are for places that the housing doesn't normally allow a pet because these aren't pets, they're a support animal. Um, it also allows the ESA to ride in the cabin of an airplane where sometimes they might not be allowed to. Yeah, so definitely emotional support animals. There's a benefit if you're looking to get into a housing situation where you may not be allowed pets otherwise if you need to travel with your pet and if that pet happens to be a companion that just helps you get through, you know, daily stressors um, and things like that. So there are some differences though between emotional support animals and then therapy animals and service animals. So do you want to talk about those for a minute, Cora? Yeah. So sometimes people get confused between a service animal and what they do and a therapy animal and an ESA or emotional support animal. A service animal is an animal that's specifically trained to provide a service that reduces their hand handler's limitations. These can, some examples are like a seeing eye dog or a dog that can push or pull a wheelchair or a dog that can get their handler help if they're having a seizure. These dogs are entitled to go everywhere with their owners. When you have a service animal, there's a lot of expectations for the owner such as the cleanliness of the dog, such as uh, the behaviors of the dog and the training and maintaining all those training things that we don't see in an ESA. Because an ESA is kind of like a pet plus. With a therapy animal, they also have specialized training, but that training also includes socialization. Um, they're often used in nursing homes, hospitals, schools, um, and the intent of those is to fil facilitate psychological healing. Not every dog can be a therapy dog just because we have a beloved pet um, and we want to take it into the hospital to see people or a nursing home. That, that's a lovely thought, but the training that these animals get are specific to not injuring anyone and also providing comfort. ESA, like I said, is a pet plus. They don't get to go into the grocery store with you like a service animal. They can't go in the hospitals. They can't go in um, to a nursing home. They are just for 
the owner when they're home or when they're traveling. It, it sounds like basically ESA is kind of there more so for comfort, whereas a therapy animal or service animal is actually specifically trained to help in particular situations. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, so um, what are the laws around emotional support animals? So there's recently been a lot of media and a lot of controversy surrounding an emotional support animal, and especially with the airlines and people bringing their ESA onto an airline, and sometimes this feels like they're bringing a pet onto an airline, and everybody wants to bring their pet on the airline, I do. Um, <laughs> but the, there are state and federal laws that support ESA that is more than just a pet. Um, each state will have a different law. In Ohio, where Aline and I practice, the law states that the housing provider must allow disabled persons and a DSM diagnosis, a mental health diagnosis, is considered a disability according to the Fair Housing Act for, for an ESA. So the housing provider must allow disabled persons to have an assistance animal free of charge, but the handler is responsible for any damages. So what that means is if you go to an apartment that has um, like a pet fee, they cannot require you to pay that pet fee to have your um, emotional support animal. If you go to a housing unit that doesn't normally accept pets at all, they can't prohibit you from having your emotional support animal. Um, but if, let's say, the animal tears a hole in the drywall or tears up the carpet, you will be responsible as the handler for paying for those charges, probably losing your deposit. Um, that will be up to the owner. Federally, according to the Fair Housing Act, um, it's Fair Housing Act Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. It requires, requires housing providers to consider all requests for reasonable accommodations for assistance animals. So federally, you wouldn't have to have a letter. The person requesting a reasonable accommodation has a disability and asks for the animal to support, then the housing provider is required to modify their pet, um, pet policy to allow for that animal. On a federal level, something like an ESA letter is your evidence of a disability and that the animal is doing something to support that disability, which then requires a housing person to allow you to have the pet. And then the Air Carrier Access Act requires ESAs be allowed in the cabin with the handler with a few exceptions. So if you have an ESA elephant, they're not going to allow them on the plane. So size matters. If you bring your dog onto an airplane and it is disruptive and it's barking a lot and it's trying to run around, they're going to ask you and your pet to leave. Um, they do have, that is completely legal according to the Air Carrier Act, Air Carrier Access Act. Um, and also if it's a safety hazard, if you bring your ESA German Shepherd onto the plane and it's growling and being nasty at other passengers, they're going to ask you to leave. And in order to bring your pet on, into the cabin with you, there is documentation from a licensed mental health professional that there is a disability and that the animal is needed to assist with that disability. So just like here in Ohio, it's required for, for housing. Federally, it's required for air um, transportation. Um, an airline will probably ask more questions, like they'll want to see the letter, where, you know, if you have a service animal, 
they're limited on the amount of questions they can ask. That's different if you have an ESA. So what are some reasons for why an individual might want to get an emotional support animal? Well, I think anybody who's ever owned a pet knows the benefit of having a companion animal. But there has been research in support of having a companion animal and also having an emotional support animal. According to an article by the National Institute of Health, the companionship of an animal can reduce the amount of cortisol, which is a stress-related hormone, and reduce blood pressure. In a 2018 peer-reviewed study by O'Hare and Rodriguez, they found that there was a clinically significant reduction in trauma symptoms in clients who suffered with PTSD when they had a dog. Now, we also know that um, things such as equine therapy helps with folks with PTSD, so it would make sense that other animals might also be helpful, but this study just looked into dogs. And also, caring for an animal can instill a sense of responsibility and a reason to get up in the morning, a reason to get started, somebody that's relying on you. And pets can be considered a protective factor for some people with suicidal ideation. That doesn't mean that if someone has a pet, they are not going to attempt suicide. It means that this can be one of the things, one of the protective factors, one of the reasons to continue living. Yeah, I think sometimes, and I know we've talked about this before, but I think sometimes it's, it just goes a long way for individuals to have something um, such as a pet to care for. Um, and it, it can be, like Cora said, a great protective factor for some people with suicidal ideation. Um, but I've also, you know, talked to people who use their cats as emotional support animals who get quite a bit of comfort from their cats when they're anxious or when they're feeling sad and um, similar things with dogs and other animals as well. One thing that the research didn't touch on, um, but as a therapist, I know I've seen it just with people who have pets in general, um, that the unconditional positive regard that an animal has for their owner is very important. You'll hear that term unconditional positive regard a lot if you do research into therapy. Um, and it's something that therapists try to obtain with their clients is this positivity and like, I accept you as a human being regardless of your faults. Your pet is always going to do that. They accept you as who you are. Every day when you come in the door, they're happy to see you like it's the first time they've ever seen you after a very long trip. And that that by itself can be healing to somebody who's suffering with a lot of these mental illnesses. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're deciding to write an ESA letter for someone, one of the things that we have to take into consideration and that we discuss with our clients is the risks of having an ESA. One of those risks is animal misbehavior. Like I mentioned before, they could tear up your apartment or your housing. They could pee on an airplane. That would be really bad. There's just general misbehavior. If this is a dog that barks every time somebody shifts their weight, it might not be a very good apartment ESA. Um, if this is a cat that wants to hang from the curtains, it might not be a very good ESA. Um, there are risks to the animal itself. If you take the animal to um, on the airplane or in an airport, potentially someone could have problems with that. 
there are risks that like um, some breeds become overheated when they're out and when they're in airplanes, they could potentially have a health problem like that. There are risks of having the animal and someone being abusive, either roommates or somebody else in an apartment complex, something like that. So there are risks to the animal to consider. There are risks to the public just in general, as there are with all animals, as far as veterinary care, vaccinations. Um, if an animal were to get aggressive for some reason, those are all risks to the public to take into consideration. And then risks to the handler. So you think, well, what could there possibly be risks to the handler in this? Well, if an animal were to die or get lost or get stolen, the emotional backlash from that could potentially become a trigger for worse mental illness down the road. So as a therapist, when we're discussing these things with our clients, they need to be aware of all of these possibilities. And we need to talk about a plan in advance for what happens if one of these things happen. How will you handle this in the future? That doesn't mean it won't be emotionally taxing. Anytime your pet dies, that's one of the worst emotional feelings. It's, it's grief. However, if we have a plan in place of here's who I call, here's who I go to, here's where I can stay, then it becomes at least manageable. One other thing that I think is important to know also and just keep in mind is that if you are trying to obtain a letter and you're coming in to talk to a counselor about those risks and those benefits of having one, um, just keep it in mind that it is an assessment. So we do have to decide if that is something that would be appropriate for you. And like Cora said, we have to make some of these plans ahead of time. So it's not always as easy as just like going in and getting a letter that day. It doesn't typically work that way. So that's just something to be prepared for if that is something you're looking to do. There's some additional things that you should consider prior to asking for an ESA letter. And many therapists will go over this with you as they're assessing you for a letter. One is the cost of having an animal. So you get your ESA chihuahua and this animal seems like there's not a whole lot of care. You just take them out, bring them in, feed and water. Okay, but the food costs money. So knowing where you're going to get that and making sure that you're available to do that or have a plan in case you're not available to make sure that the animal gets fed. Having water all the time for these animals, having shelter for these animals. So if your lifestyle is one in which you don't have stable housing all of the time, an ESA might not be appropriate for you at that time. That doesn't mean it won't be appropriate for you someday, just today might not be the day for that. Um, there's also vet bills. It is the owner's responsibility to make sure that their ESA is in good health, is vaccinated, and isn't going to, and any sort of behavioral um, training, that's, that's all going to be up to the handler. So being prepared for those additional costs, which could be anything from just a checkup and vaccinations once a year to something terrible happens and I need to go to the vet for something more extensive. Um, and one thing to keep in mind that it's very important that everybody who's considering an ESA know is that there is no certification for an ESA. So we hear about certified therapy dogs, certified service dogs. Th those things exist. There is no such thing as a certified ESA. So if someone is trying to sell you 
an ESA certification, that is a scam. Don't do it. Um, if you see online, get your ESA assessment and letter within 24 hours, this is a scam. They're going to take your money. They may give you an ESA letter, but if anybody questions it, it's not going to be worth anything. And the airlines will question it. Absolutely. Okay. So, so there's a little bit of a buyer beware on ESAs. And, and I think, you know, I think that's important to know because there's so much information on the internet. And as we know, of course, not all of it is true. But if you're not sure, you know, about how ESA or something like that works in your state, you can always Google, you know, your state and emotional support letter requirements or something along those lines. And you should be able to find, you know, legitimate information on how that works. The point being though, don't click on the first thing you see because a lot of times you will see those things that say something like certification in 24 hours. Um, and like Cora said, that's not, that's not actually what you want and it is a scam. So on the therapist side, for us to issue you an ESA letter in an ethical and legal way, you have to establish care um, and receive an assessment. Now, every state, like I said, has different laws and every practice within every state is going to have different policies and there's nothing saying that they have to write an ESA letter or how that, that procedure should be. That's a question you can ask up front I'm thinking about an ESA, if we went down that path, how long would it take, what can I expect? That's absolutely a fair question, and they should be able to articulate that to you. But most states require that you establish care with a mental health professional, and again, psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist, social worker, um, I think some addictions counselors as well. And you have to receive an assessment. Um, usually that happens in the first session, for the um, practice that I work for, it happens in the first and second session. So, and, and then usually we would have to do a treatment plan. So I would need at least three sessions before we could really talk about ESA. You also have to establish the goals in which an ESA will support the handler or the owner. So if our therapy goals are reduce anxiety, and you say, one of the ways that I reduce my anxiety is I can spend time petting my dog and being around my dog, then that's something that is articulable that we can put in, in the treatment plan to say this is a goal and this is one of the ways we're working towards that goal. But just, I have a pet, my apartment complex doesn't want me to have them, so I need a letter, I, I can't help with that. And then the letter, one thing to keep in mind is that the letter is time limited. There's an assumption that letters from medical and mental health professionals are good for 12 months, a year. Um, most mental health professionals will put in their letters now, this is good for one year. So you can't get one PSA letter from somebody and then it just work for the rest of your life. You have to have ongoing care for the things that the ESA is supporting. Letters can be as time limited as this is an ESA letter for just this trip on this airplane. It doesn't have to, and then it would just be just for that trip on the airplane and it couldn't be used for another time. If like 
going on an airplane was something problematic for you and that was something you were working in therapy. So there's lots of different ways that these different ways these letters can look. So here in Ohio, the law regarding um, doing assessments and, and letters for emotional support animals recently changed, actually. But what are some reasons why a letter may not be possible? Like you mentioned, each state's going to be different. And Ohio just got a little bit more detailed with how this works. It was in response to the airline industry. But the state of Ohio requires a face-to-face -face assessment for before an ESA letter, to establish care before an ESA letter can be valid. In these weird times with COVID, a face-to-face -face, um, assessment could be video conference, but it will require not just over the phone, not just through emails, but actual face-to-face, -face, which means those people on the internet who say you can get this in 24 hours by emailing me, again, that's a scam. <laughs> um, in Ohio, this, this is also a law, but this is also best practices for just about anything mental health, is the counselor must be required to have training and experience in assessing for the use of an ESA prior to writing an ESA letter. So let's say you go in to meet with a therapist and you're saying, I want an ESA letter, and they're saying, I'm sorry, I can't do ESA letters. They're not lying to you. They're not try just not trying to help you out. It's because this is actually a requirement in our state, in quite a few states, but it's also the best practices. So if they're telling you, I've not had the training for that, I can refer you to someone who does, then they're actually doing their job well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and another thing to keep in mind too, is we talk about these laws, you know, and, and like I said, in Ohio, it just recently changed. These things do change over time. Sometimes we figure out better ways of, of doing assessments and things like that. And it's important to be updated on that. Or if you're not sure, then just ask that therapist or whoever you're working with, and they will be able to help you or at least guide you in the right direction. Thanks for listening to Temporary Circumstances. Leave us a review wherever you found us and comment on anything you want to hear more about or have questions on.